0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler Area, located at 1500 South Allen L Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10:30 a.m. and 2:30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. I want to talk to you for a little while and study with you about a story that we see in Luke chapter 17 and. And uh, here in a few moments, I'm going to ask you to turn over there, or use your electronic device, and, and uh, we're going to read a little bit uh, from verses 11 through 19 of Luke 17. We're not going to do that yet. Before we, before we actually get to that story, I've got a couple of verses that I want to look at and examine to kind of get our mind in, in the right place before we begin to dive into this story. I want to start in Romans chapter 12. This is uh, a very familiar verse to us or a couple of familiar verses to us that we're going to read to begin. As Paul writes to the church at Rome, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Interestingly enough, Paul has just spent chapters 1 through 11 explaining what the mercies of God is. And he does that to get to this climactic point in the book where he says, okay, now that we have a firm grasp of what God's mercy is, let's talk about something. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. We don't use the word beseech in our Common contemporary vernacular. That's not really a a word we're accustomed to using. So let's understand what he means by the word beseech. He is saying, I am pleading with you. I am begging you because of God's mercy that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What does that mean to you? What do you think of when you think about a sacrifice? You know, when we look back, we we know all about sacrifice looking through the Bible. We see sacrifices made over and over and over again because of sin. Is that what he's got in mind, that we kill ourselves? That we literally sacrifice? No, notice he uses the word living sacrifice. That is that we present ourselves, our will, our mind, our heart, our strength, everything that we are as a sacrifice at the feet of God. That we live that out. And what does that look like? He said, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You know the word reasonable here is an interesting word. I believe it's the word logicos, which is where we get our word logical. And here's what he's saying. It is logical For us to serve God, it is logical for us not only to serve God, but to lay down our life on the altar, if you will, as a sacrifice to God. It's only reasonable when you consider the mercies of God. When you think about what Jesus has done in your life, does that motivate you? Does it inspire you to do better, to try harder? To give more time, to give more effort, to give more energy. See, there's there's an element of this that we don't often talk about. You know what it is? It's gratitude. Because here's the truth. I can know about the mercies of God, but if I'm not grateful for it, it does nothing in my life. It doesn't mold me. It doesn't impact me. It doesn't push me in a direction toward holiness. But when I'm grateful for God's mercy, that's when it affects me. That's when... It presses me on. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I'll make a confession. I'm not thankful for everything. Are you? Is everything in your life something that you would thank God for? I'll tell you not, everything's pleasant. In fact, there's some things that happen in this life that that cause you to to fall down and grieve, that nearly try to break you. Are we thankful for those things? You say, well, that'd be crazy. You know what God's will is? Listen, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. To do what? To give thanks in everything to be grateful. So let's talk about that. And I want you to grab your Bible once you to turn with me to Luke chapter 17. As you're turning there, uh, what I want us to do is as we think about gratitude, I want to ask four questions and answer those four questions. And we're going to look at this story <coughs> to help us do that and to help give us a better understanding of what God's will in our life is regarding us being grateful. Number one, are we fulfilling God's will in our life through gratitude? And if we're going to ask that, we need to ask what causes us to be ungrateful? Because I find a lot of times in my life where maybe I feel entitled. Maybe I just expect that something's going to be a blessing in my life. Perhaps I'm not grateful for that. What causes us to be ungrateful? Number three, how does gratitude or a lack of gratitude for that matter affect my life and relationship with God? And then how do we quantify that? How do you know if you're ungrateful or whether you're grateful? So let's ask all these questions. Luke chapter 17 Verse 11. Read along with me, if you will, please. It says, And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. This is Jesus. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his feet, or fell down rather on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Let's talk about leprosy. This is obviously a very significant story as there were many things that happened in Jesus' life and in his ministry that are not recorded. But this particular story is. A story of lepers. What was the biggest issue with leprosy? Well, the biggest issue was that it was permanent. That is, it was incurable. And number two, it was most of the time fatal. Very, very rare that it would not eventually kill someone it was a terrible horrible disease and I want to read some things that I that I read about leprosy uh, from some medical reading some medical writings rather it said about leprosy infection can lead to damage of the nerves respiratory tract skin and eyes this nerve damage may result in a lack of ability to feel pain which can lead to the loss of parts of a person's extremities from repeated injuries or infection through unnoticed wounds. So let's actually try to put that into context in layman's terms. What he's saying is that a leprosy attacks your nerves in your body to such a point where eventually those... Parts of your body become desensitized and so you may walk by something and your arm, the nerves aren't working and so you get a cut on your arm. Well then the infection would then spread and you'd end up losing your arm. So that was very common for lepers to lose fingers, to lose toes, to lose feet, to sometimes lose whole appendages. It was a terrible disease but along with that came a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort. But worse than that, probably worse than that would be the social issues Uh, that were associated with leprosy. If somebody had leprosy, they were put into what was called a leper colony. That is an isolation. And and you were no longer allowed to have contact with people. You couldn't have contact with your own family. And if you ever walked through a public place, you not only had to shave your head to show you are a leper, you had to wear torn clothes uh, as to expose the fact that you were a leper. Obviously, you couldn't hide this disease because you had to wear torn clothes. Not only that, you had to put a covering over your mouth, and everywhere you went, you had to yell out, Unclean! Unclean. How would you like to be that person? Every day you wake up in a colony of isolation with a bunch of other people that have the same disease that you do. And that day starts out with the hopelessness of ever seeing your loved ones again. Never feeling your spouse's touch. Never feeling the warmth of a hug from your children your brother or sister, your mother or dad. Every single day, you were reminded that this incurable and fatal disease that you had was going to cause you to die in isolation. And the only ones that you could be around are the ones that share your sickness. That's these ten men. There is no hope. And then imagine one day you hear about a man named Jesus. Who has cured a leper. And all of a sudden your whole world changes. You know there's hope now. But he's not here. And so what do you do? The ten of you are watching for him. You're waiting for him to come to your area. And finally you hear he's in the area. So what do you do? You go out there. And what do you do? You stand afar off because you can't come near him. And you just cry out. Jesus, have mercy on us. This is it. This is your one chance. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. You know, this is a little bit unique. Jesus typically healed a person right then and there when he, they came in contact with him. But he doesn't heal them. You know what he says? Go show yourself to the priest. You might think, well, what in the world is that about? Well, here's the thing. And leprosy was such a problem that if you go back in the, in the book of Leviticus, I believe there's 53 verses in one chapter that all deal with leprosy. It could be 59. I may be not remembering that correctly. But there's over 50 verses in one chapter that are all about leprosy. And if you go look through there, what happens is once they found out that they might have not had leprosy, they had to go to a priest and him, kind of like a doctor, would examine them and ensure that they were able to return to society and return to home. Well, they're not even cured. And Jesus says, go show yourself to a priest. What'd they do? They went. They're headed that way. They're not cured yet, but they're headed that way. But it says, as they went, they were cleansed. Think about that moment. These guys know each other. They've been living in isolation together, these ten men. What a moment of rejoicing that must have been. Maybe they're confused as Jesus says, Go show yourself to the priest. But all of a sudden, in a moment, there they are, and their skin is clean, and their body is cured. Do you think for one second that not all 10 of these people, all 10 of these men, were not grateful? See, I have a hard time believing that. I have a hard time saying, You know, the nine were ungrateful, but the one was grateful. I believe they were all grateful. They were all grateful. How could you not be grateful for what's just happened? But there's a problem that they have. A problem. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Now, I want you to take that word there, Samaritan, put that in your pocket. We're going to pull it out later. Because we're going to talk about that later, but I don't want to focus on that right now. What I want us to see is that there was one person that came back to give thanks. And it says, so Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not found any who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Again, I have no doubt in my mind, given the serious nature of their condition, that these men are thankful. But what's different about this one? Number one, he returned. He returned. They may have been thankful in their mind. They may have been thankful in their heart. But this man returned to the blesser, to the giver. Number two, he loudly praised God. Number three, he fell down on his face at Jesus' feet. And number four, he gave him thanks. You say, well, I don't know why that's so profound. I'll tell you why that's profound to me. Because I believe these men were grateful, but what they were grateful for was the blessing and not the blesser. See, a lot of times we are. We're grateful for what we have in life. You even hear the atheists say things like that. I'm I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Well, to whom? For what? See, gratitude is is not virtuous in and of itself. Everybody experiences gratitude, but see what this man did was he recognized where the blessing came from and he returned to give praise to him and he fell down in humility and worshiped him and he gave him thanks. He gave God thanks. You know what Jesus said? We're the nine. That's not right. It doesn't make sense. That only one person would return and give God the glory for the blessing. Their whole life has just changed. Everything's been restored, and where are they? That's what Jesus said. Where are the nine? James one and seventeen says every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of returning, of turning rather. See, I think sometimes people feel this sense of entitlement, like like they, they believe they have the right, or, or maybe they should have the privilege of receiving God's blessings. But the truth is, if God doesn't want to bless me with anything, I'm not blessed in any way, form, or fashion. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from God. Notice what Philippians chapter 4 and 6 through 8 says. It says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God. That sounds a lot like what we read in Thessalonians at the first of our study, doesn't it? In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God. And he says, "In the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there are any virtue, if there are anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You know what happens to me when I have some type of anxious situation come up? I'm overwhelmed by it. You talk to my wife, she will tell you I'm a worrier. I didn't say I'm a warrior. I said I'm a worrier. I overthink everything. And so you know what? Sometimes I'll be overthinking something and then it just hits me. I go, what am I doing? I'm supposed to pray about this. So I pray about it. And what do I pray about? My worries. And then I worry some more. And then I pray about it. And then I worry some more. Is that what he's got in mind here? You know what my problem is? Is whenever I'm going to God and letting my request be made known and praying to him, you know what I forget? This right here. I, don't, I do part of what he told me to do. I just don't do all of it. I say, here's what I'm worried about. This is what I'm concerned about. Now, remove the thorn in my flesh. But I don't take an inventory of my blessings. And I want to encourage you to do something next time that you're overwhelmed with worry. I want you to take a piece of paper and I want you to sit down. And I want you to write down every spiritual blessing that God has given you through Jesus Christ. That's number one. Every spiritual blessing. Number two, I want you to write down every person in your life that blesses you and that loves you. Write that down. And number three, write down every physical comfort that you have in this life. And if you write all those things down, And you look at them, then I want you to start looking at every one of those and imagine what your life, how much harder your life would be without those things. Because that's a lot of people's lives. And here we sit a lot of times going, it's not fair God, life's not fair God. Why do I have to go through this God? And what we don't do is exactly the song that we've been singing for who knows how long, Count Our Blessings. Take an inventory of the good things. Meditate on what's true, what's noble, what's just, what's pure, what's lovely, what's of good report, what's praiseworthy and virtuous. See, what we do is we get into this, and I think, I remember Richard Sinner calling it one time, stinking thinking. That's what happens to us. We get to thinking negatively about things. We get centered on what's causing us grief. Instead of, we forget. We forget what God's given us. Take an inventory. Luke chapter 15 verse 29. Luke 15, 29. This is from the, the, what we call the parable the prodigal son. It says in verse 29, So he answered and said to his father, This is the older brother, said, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this your son, this son of yours came... Who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you were always with me, and all that I have is yours. You know one of the biggest threats that we have to gratitude? Envy. Envy. We don't think envy is that big a problem in America. We don't. It's okay to envy, right? Right? Do you know in Galatians chapter 5, as he mentions things that would keep a person out of the kingdom of God, kingdom of God, such as adultery and fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, hatred, one of the things he mentions in there is envy, envy. Does that grab your attention? That people will not go to heaven because they live their life practicing envy? What's this man's problem? Envy. He saw what the father was blessing someone else with and said, That's not fair. He's not as good a person as I am. He's not as dedicated and committed as I have been. You don't give those things to me. Why are you giving them to him? You know what the father called him to remember? You have an inheritance. Everything that I have is yours. And you've been blessed with my presence this entire time. You're my son. But his envy, thinking this was unfair, robbed him of the blessings that he actually had. First Samuel chapter 18, we see another person that was destroyed by envy. I'm talking about King Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 7 and 9 It says, so the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they've ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. I want you to really, really think about this last statement. What does that mean? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. What do you get out of that? Oh, he was watching him. Oh, no, it was much more than that. Much more than that. He was obsessed with David. He had tunnel vision. He was addicted to destroying David. And he spent the rest of his life chasing around David. Several years chasing David, trying to kill him. You know why? Envy. Because he felt like it wasn't right for him to be robbed of the glory that was due him. And you know what he did? He wasted his entire kingship. He was the king of Israel. And instead of being a blessing to the kingdom of Israel, he was absent. Chasing the man that God had anointed. Eventually coming to his own destruction. All because of envy. He wasn't grateful for what God had given him. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says of the Gentile world. It says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now listen to verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You know, one of the things, uh, outcomes you might say of being ungrateful will be that we will not glorify God. I'll tell you that's what makes us want to praise God. There's there's a song in this book. I don't know if y'all know this song or sing this song. How can I keep from singing his praise? If you, Even if you don't know it go read the words to it later. Because I'll tell you it it grabs me. It pricks my heart. It makes me say why, why am I not doing better? Why am I not praising more? Why am I not giving him more glory with all the things he's given me? How can I not praise his name? But you see, these people lived in a world where they worshipped self rather than God. They knew who God was. They could clearly see the evidence of God. They could see it. But they didn't want to glorify him. Nor were they thankful. And it says they worshipped the creature more than the creator John Bright, a British statesman, once said, He is a self-made man and worships his creator. I want to say that again. Think about that. He's a self-made man and worships his creator. You ever just look back at the things in your life and go, I did this. Look at all the things I've done. I mean, yeah, you can tell me I'm blessed, but I work hard. I work hard. Now, I'll tell you, if you get into that mindset too much, you will be ungrateful. You will. Because there's something we all need to let sink home about what we really have in this life and where it comes from. Acts chapter 17, 26. And he made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundary of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Now, listen to Verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the talent to work? You know what the word being means? It means existence. You know what? If God doesn't want me to exist, I don't exist. If he doesn't want me to move, I don't move. If he doesn't want me to possess, I don't possess. Everything, whether you work for it or don't work for it, everything that you've been blessed with has been given to you by the grace of our creator. He holds everything in his hands. And don't ever feel like you're a self-made person. Because that doesn't exist. But what it does is it breeds ingratitude in our life. When we start to think about, well, I did that, I accomplished that, I worked for that. I'm the reason, I'm the originator of my blessings. I'll tell you, some people think, well, maybe I don't want to exist. Maybe I don't want to have a being. And i tell you, there's nothing more sad to me than when a person is in such hopelessness that they don't want to live. And I know people have hard times in life. Some people suffer with chronic pain every single day. That's what their life is defined by, is pain. Some people get to where they can't move and work and they can't do. They don't have the energy or the strength that they used to have. And I'll tell you, that makes life extremely hard on them. But I want you to know that no matter how bad your life is on this earth, you can still be grateful and should be grateful. I want you to notice 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. And, and don't get hung up on the earthly house and tent. He's using these things as analogies. He's not talking about building houses and building tents. He's talking about our body. He says, for we know that if our earthly house, that is this body, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this, in what? In this body, he says, we groan. Earnestly desire to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven, if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we know, uh, for we rather, who are in this tent groan, there he says it again, groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Is it surprising that we would experience hardship, that we would groan, that we would be burdened in this body? Of course not. That's the truth for every person. Now, we might look and say, well, some people obviously suffer to a different extreme than maybe another. And that's certainly true. Some people live with better health, with better life, with a lot of those things. But here's the facts. Whether you live this life in pain or you live this life in comfort, every one of us is going to die. And this life is just a vapor, just a speck. And I'll tell you, when we all get to eternity, the speck is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying your life doesn't matter. I'm telling you, when we get to eternity, we're not going to look back and go, life was so unfair. We're not going to care. And even those who lived their entire life in pain. Think about Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. This man who lived his life in torment, who ends up comforted. And then there's this man who lived in comfort, who ends up tormented. Do you think that this man looked back at life and said, man, life sure was good. No, it doesn't matter. He's in torment. Do you think Lazarus looked back and said, my life wasn't fair, God. No, it doesn't matter. He's in comfort. You know why? Because our life right now is subject to corruption. It is subject to death. It is subject to heartache. It is subject to pain. But there's coming a day, if we're in Christ Jesus, that we will be found clothed with an eternal body. If that's not something to be grateful for, I don't know what is. And that means I can be grateful every day. Every day. No matter how hard life is. 1 Peter chapter 4, 10 says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I'll tell you why this all matters. Because if I'm grateful... That gratitude, realizing I've received a gift from God, is going to be manifest to someone else. See, God did not design us to just be recipients of his blessings. God in Christ Jesus created you to be a conduit for those blessings. For those blessings not to stop with you, but to flow through you. And if I don't recognize those blessings, I don't recognize that grace that's been given to me, I'm not certainly not going to be a conduit for it. I'll tell you what people don't want a part of. They don't want a part of being uh, uh, connected with a body of people that are miserable. I mean, if Christians are miserable, do you really think that people in the world are going to go, yeah, I would rather give up on my earthly blessings and be miserable like you. And I'm not saying y'all are that way. But you get my point. This matters. How we spread the gospel, it matters that we're grateful, that we understand what blessings we hold. Because we're to be a steward of those blessings that God put them in our hands to deliver to someone else. And I want you to see how that affects not just the gospel, but also our relationships with one another. Matthew chapter 18, this is a parable that, again, a very commonly known parable about forgiveness. And we have this man that was forgiven a... I don't even know what to call it. It's it's an unfathomable amount of money. 10,000 talents. A a debt he could never pay. Not with enough time and enough resources, enough friends. He couldn't pay it. And so this man goes and finds someone else that owes him money. a, A rather small debt. And it says that this man fell down at his feet and says, Give me more time and I will pay you everything. And the Bible says he would not. And I want you to notice it doesn't say that he could not. It doesn't say he could not loose him of the debt. It says he would not. He chose not to. Not to forgive him. He would not. But instead, it says he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And saw and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you. You know what this man's problem was? Gratitude. This is why he couldn't forgive. And I want to tell you something. If you're having trouble in your life today forgiving someone, it's because of gratitude. Because when we recognize what we've been forgiven from our God, we'll lose every debt in our life. We'll freely lose debts. Because we understand the magnitude of the forgiveness and grace of God. And we will be a of that grace in releasing every single person that's ever wronged us. But until we're grateful, until we understand this man that owed 10,000 talents doesn't re- represent the worst person on earth. It re- represents every one of us. Once we recognize that, we'll be grateful. See, it's about perspective. If I think I'm just this righteous person that is above everybody else. And, and when I was baptized into Christ, I really wasn't, didn't really need my sins forgiven. God just made it official at that point. I'll tell you, that's the wrong mindset. You weren't this close to God and he just shoved you a little closer. You were separate from God because of your sins. You were not righteous. You were in need of a savior. You were in need of rescuing. How can we not be grateful for that? How can we not extend that same gratefulness and forgiveness and kindness? I think expressions of gratitude sometimes bother us. What if somebody today was to come in here, someone we didn't know, came up and sat right here in front of David and Becky, and they sat here through the whole service, and all they did was cry. Loudly. What would you think? Would that make you uncomfortable? What would y'all be trying to do if somebody came in here and did that? Would your first, be, your first thought be, how, how can we get this person to stop crying and be quiet so we can have church? Will we start judging? Will we say, probably nothing wrong with her anyway. She probably just wants attention. That's why, that's why she's up here. She's up here crying because she's just trying to make a spectacle out of herself. Maybe that's all true. Or maybe she's just so moved by God's goodness that it just causes her to sob and weep. Would that be strange to us? Probably strange to us, wouldn't it? I'll tell you, let's just up the ante a little bit. What if somebody came in here and they walked up here and they fell down on their face right here in the middle of the aisle and began to worship and praise God? Well, we'd have all kinds of thoughts about that, wouldn't we? That's not decent and in order. Good grief. Look around, waiting for somebody to get this person in order. You know what's interesting? Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus are the secrets of his heart revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is among you. You know what's interesting is that that's the exact effect that Paul thought the assemblies would have on unbelievers and outsiders. That they'd be so moved by God's goodness because of the worship that they see. Because of the things they hear about God. That they would be moved. And I'm not telling you to fall down on your face. It's not my point. But I do want to ask you this. When's the last time you fell on your face? Not in an assembly, but when's the last time you were so grateful? You were so in awe of God's majesty and glory and goodness that it moved you to tears. That you fell on your face and worship God. That's what this leper did. He didn't just return. He loudly praised God right at the feet of Jesus. And if we think that's inappropriate, we might be like this person that we read about in Luke chapter 7. It says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. How would you like to be just known as a sinner? That that." We're not told her name here in Luke, just a woman who was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. I'll tell you, you want to be in an uncomfortable uh, situation, this would be one. Imagine you're sitting around a dinner table, you're all eating, and this woman walks in the house and she walks over and she is crying so profusely, she's creating enough tears to wash someone's feet. I don't even think I could create enough tears to to wash half of my hand. She is washing Jesus' feet, she has no water, with her tears and wiping them with her hair. But not only that, she is kissing his feet. You know what I'd probably think? That is so inappropriate. Are you just going to let her do that? You know what's sad? That's exactly what the Pharisee was thinking. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, now listen, he spoke to himself. He didn't say this out loud. He was just watching. And he thought to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know Who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And he didn't have to say that. You know why? Because Jesus knew his thoughts. And so Jesus rebukes him. Jesus answers him. And Jesus gives him something to think about. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, teacher, say it. So Jesus says there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one to whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. You know, Jesus basically draws this out in crayon. I mean, there's, there's no way to mistake or to get the answer wrong. I mean, nobody's going to say, well, the guy with 50. It's obvious, right? The guy who was forgiven more is going to love him more. What he didn't know is Jesus is using this as a very teachable moment. To teach Simon about why this woman is doing what she's doing and why it's fine that she's doing what she's doing. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, now get this. Here's this woman crying Washing Jesus' feet, kissing Jesus' feet, Jesus turns to the woman. He doesn't talk to the woman, he's talking to Simon. He looks at her and talks back to Simon and says this. Do you see this woman? Obviously he does, right? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. You know, these things that he mentions here are actually just customs, just just common courtesies when you go into somebody's house that they would help you wash your feet, that they would give you a greeting of a kiss on the cheek, or maybe both cheeks, uh, that they would give you something to anoint your head with. It was just a common courtesy, a blessing, you might say. And he says, you did none of these things for me, and she hasn't ceased to be doing that since she walked in. You know, it's very common for those who are not grateful to criticize those who are in the way they express it. It's very common. That's what's happening here. But I'll tell you, the hardest part of what Jesus teaches him is right here. And I'll tell you, this is what bites me the most. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. You know what he said to Simon? I'll tell you why you didn't give me these things, because you don't love me very much. And that's hard to hear, isn't it? That's why you're not serving me. That's why you're not humbling yourself at my feet. That's why you're not kissing my feet and washing my feet and anointing my feet. She's doing it because she loves me. And Simon, you're not because you don't love me very much. You know why? Because you're the 50, person, you're the 50 denarii man. And she's the 500. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Notice this. Teaching us. What does the grace of God teach us? That denying ungodliness and worldly lust sounds just like Romans 12, doesn't it? We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, now listen very closely, that he might redeem us. That means purchase us. Redeem us from lawless deeds and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That word zealous means to be on fire, to have a burning desire. And I want to ask you today, do you have a burning desire to do the good works of God's kingdom? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Are we the nine? Are we the one? Do we burn for Jesus? When people don't show up for church because they got some worldly thing that they've already made a commitment for, where are the nine? When someone sees their brother in need and they say, somebody else will take care of that, where are the nine? When we view our brother through bitterness and resentment and fail to forgive them, where are the nine? I'll tell you, we had something much worse than leprosy. Much worse. Where are the nine? I'll tell you what this man, this leper, didn't have a problem with. He didn't have a problem with humility. You know why? Because he was a Samaritan. Of all the people that came back, it was the stranger. It was the foreigner. He didn't need somebody telling him he was lowly. He already knew that because society told him he was. That he was less than everyone else. Called them dogs. Treated them as though they were barely human. He didn't have problems with that. But I tell you, it was his humility that drove him to praise God, not his pride. Psalms chapter 100, a psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. And not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. Friends, we have no excuse. I want to ask you today, are you grateful? Do you return to Him to offer your thanks and praise? And when you offer thanks and praise, do you do that? With your heart? Or do you just go through the motions? Because I'll tell you. You can't go through the motions when your heart is full of gratitude. You can't. Do you take an inventory of the blessings that he gives you every day? And I want to encourage you to do that often. To do it often. Number three. Do you show him your gratitude by sacrificing those blessings to his glory and honor? Are you a steward of the blessings of God? And finally... Do you deny yourself of ungodly pleasures and live in holiness and righteousness with a burning within to do righteous deeds? Because that, friends, is not above and beyond. It's only rational when you consider what God's done for us. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.